0: Welcome to On the Porch, the podcast. Thanks for joining us. You're listening to WUKY 91.3 FM, listener-supported radio, and I am Silas House, your host here on the porch. You just heard Into the Mystic by Van Morrison, a very appropriate song here, because today we're going to be talking to author River Jordan about her brand-new book, Confessions of a Christian Mystic. Besides being a writer, River is also a speaker, teacher, and a radio host. Her work has been featured in Publishers Weekly, Booklist, NPR, Guideposts, everywhere you can think of. She has written four novels and two books of nonfiction, including her most recent. She's a regular contributor to Psychology Today's spirituality blog, and she's the host and producer of the literary radio program Clear Story which airs from Nashville, where she makes her home. Confessions of a Christian Mystic is her new book, and I really loved it because it's so down-home, it's keenly intelligent, it's funny, lyrical, and deeply honest. It's a book that really stays with you, so I'm very happy to be talking to her today about it. First of all, uh, why don't you tell our listeners what you want them to know about your new book?
1: First, Silas, just let me say how much I really appreciate you having me on and um, talking about Confessions of a Christian Mystic. What a crazy title, right? And at the time that I came up with that title, it seemed so perfect, right? And it really is. But I think it takes reading the book for you to realize that. It is certainly a confession of my wild, strange Southern Gothic life and my upbringing and also what it was like growing up in this world where my grandparents were from back up in there in those woods. And then also I was raised on Panama City Beach and I became a teenager in those years where you could just run crazy on the beach. And it was AEA weekend back in the day. That's what spring break was called. And, um, Some really great things that have happened to me in my life, including meeting Donna Summer and, you know, becoming friendly with her and hanging out with her in Nashville, all because she came to one of my book signings. And those stories are all a part of Confessions, along with some little pieces of fiction and short, short stories. And I really love it. Uh, Ultimately, I think this book is raw and that it's a love story to my readers because I am so intimate and transparent.
0: You very clearly define your notion of what it means to be a mystic this way, someone who desires to live and breathe and move in the presence of the divine. I love that you lay that out so plainly for us to see, but how did you come to think of yourself this way.
1: Yeah, a lot of people ask me, Silas, about being a mystic and what that means. And I never even gave it much thought when it came to controversy because the word never seemed to be controversial to me. It seemed to be natural. I mean, as you know, being a Southern boy, we were raised, or let me rephrase that, Being a Southern boy raised in the rural South, right? We weren't raised in uh, the middle of the city, in any Southern city. We had a true sense of being raised in such a way that people respected the dirt, and they were great storytellers. And so, you know, when people say, what influenced your writing, River? You know, who are... Your greatest influences. And, you know, sometimes I want to go, oh, well, you know, it's Mark Twain, who I think of as Mark Twain, not Samuel Clements, right? And yeah, I think of other great writers that have influenced me and works of literature. But the truth is, it was growing up being on that front porch. That's where it all happened. That was us shelling peas in the summer and eating watermelon and laughing and the way storms would come up out of the middle of nowhere. I mean, no one was checking those weather apps, right? No one had to turn on the television to find out what the weather was because you're so in tune with the way that the wind shifts and picks up and the way the pine trees start suddenly breathing in and out. Uh, We get a sense of God in all of that. The power of that heat lightning coming across that field on a summer night, man, you know, the hair would stand up on the back of your neck, the the dirt would shift, you know, molecules would change. There was never a sense that life was anything but mystical. So, um, yeah, that has been a really major part of my natural upbringing and as far as wanting to live and move and breathe in the presence of the divine, yeah, I think on my better days, I think if I can just stay focused on that part of me that um, is rooted to God, then I'm definitely going to live my life from a different place. And when I when I lived the experience of the book I wrote called "Praying for Strangers." walking through that that resolution of saying a silent prayer for a stranger every day that really changed me that's where i began to have that understanding of what that would look like to be tapped into both humanity and divinity in the, at the same time and making that a central focus so but it was it was those man it was those southern nights it was My grandmama, you know, it was her faith and the experience of uh, being there in those backwoods and on that creek that really just plugged me into all of that. And I just can't imagine what kind of writer I would have become if I had been raised in uh, New York City or out west or a different place. I, I don't doubt that I would still have been a writer. It's what I'm, what I am, but it's it's the southernness, it's that experience, and and I really think I do, if I do say so, I I do a great job of bringing that experience of being a very rural southern girl to life in the book.
0: Well, the word Christian can be so loaded these days. Each person has very different notions of what that means. So what would you say to someone who might hesitate reaching for this book because of that particular word?
1: Oh, the word Christian. You know, it's amazing that we've come to a place in time where people might read the title and then hesitate, right? Um, Because the word... Christian, isn't it? And I am so sorry that it's become, you know, this, because I am a Christian, and I was raised Episcopalian. I mean, my grandmother was Baptist, both my grandmothers were Baptist. I went to, you know, Baptist churches with them and did plays and went to summer Bible vacation school. And I was always completely comfortable. My mother decided when I was 11 that she wanted to find a place that, you know, was right for her. But in that process, she wanted to find a place that was right for her daughters as well. Um, My dad was stationed in Vietnam at the time, and she went to visit an Episcopal church. And I loved the the sense of the sacred there. And I love the lighting of candles. I love the kneeling to pray. I love that the service opens with people quietly kneeling to pray, and everyone kind of saying that that moment, uh, and publicly, if you will, in church, kneeling to pray individually. I, I love going to the altar for communion. I mean, all of it. But so I i guess the reason I'm saying all those things, that part of me and my faith is very much a part of my life. Normally, as Episcopalians, you're not very vocal about it. But boy, my life has taken a turn uh, where suddenly, you know, my faith is out there, um, along with my personal stories. So, you know, I, um, I have been dismayed that people might hesitate to pick up my book because Christian is in the title. And I think that that denotes the fact that there are a lot of Christians who are not speaking up about their faith or their Christianity. And I think that sound bites on the media or certain media trains have taken ownership of a word that they don't own. You don't get to own that. You just don't get to, because you're a Christian, I I don't think you have a right to step into God's shoes and pass out judgment. And I, I have to be careful when I do that. If someone's belief, you know, or their political beliefs doesn't line up with mine, It is a real quick little checkpoint I have on how fast I get angry about something or how much maybe I might not want to pray for certain people. But I try to keep myself, you know, I'm getting older. I always think as you get older that you need to, uh, it makes it a little easier to look in the mirror and go, oh, maybe I better check that, you know, maybe I need to have an open heart. I am very good about praying for people and not praying my designs on their life.
0: One of my favorite scenes in the book is, um, as a child, you're on an airplane and you're looking out at the plane window. And you realize that the way you put it is, quote, the dominion of God was wider than the tangible skies, end quote. So. First of all, that's that's a beautifully written, um, but it also just made me – it reminded me that the mind of God is too big for us to understand. And so, you know, when people do start kicking around those notions of ownership, of uh, a form of belief or something like that, I always go back to that idea, you know, the dominion of God being wider than the tangible skies. I really love that phrase. Um, can you expand on that a little bit and, and, and tell us what you mean by that?
1: Yeah. You know, from reading the book that when I was five years old, my house burnt down on Christmas day, it's just, you know, my tragic, you know, my tragic moment. It was, it was tragic. It was a, it was a big change. And, Because of that, my mother said we were already going to Germany to live with my dad, who was stationed there. But to me, I equate house burns down on Christmas Day. And I have to get on a plane and go move to Germany, leave all my cousins, leave my grandmother, and go somewhere that it was really cold. So I spent three years in the snow. And the sun came out once, you know, one day for the summer where it finally reached 75. You know, I just remember this cold, 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 dark, dark, many dark days experience. I'm And I miss family, and I miss the South. So it was great to come home. But the first thing that happened was I get on that big plane, you know, actually a jet. So I get on the plane with my mom. I'm five years old, and I'm looking out the window as the plane takes off, And my aunt is crying and waving a handkerchief. And, you know, so once we take off, my mind is not on cousins. It's not on my Aunt Kate, whom I love, who we've left being a basket case, you know, at the gate. And it's totally on the skies. And, yeah, I'm looking out the window for God, literally looking out the window for God. Yeah, that maybe that was my Baptist grandmother's influence. But then, you know, no God, no God, no angels, no God, no throne, no God. And yeah, that's when I turned to my mom and I say, Hey, Mom Of course I said Mommy, where is God? And here's my mom. House just burned down, lost everything. She's, you know, got this little girl and she's traveling and flying to another country for the first time in her life. And I look back and think about how young she was doing all this. And now she's got this five-year-old staring at her intently going, hey, where's God? And, you know, my mom it's like, what are you talking about? And I literally point to the window. It reminds me so much. I've got a, a grandson now, little grandson, it reminds me so much of the way that when I don't quite understand the question, he slows down the question and repeats it. And that's exactly what I did to my mother, as if I you know, she wasn't understanding English. So I say, Where is God? and point out the window. And you know, she tries her best to come up with an intelligent answer at that moment. And um, I don't remember her answer in any way satisfying me. I just remember going, wow, you know, yeah, the dominion of God is larger than the skies. You know, it's bigger than what I thought it was. And maybe, maybe that day, God moved out of a box for me and into the mystery. But I didn't lose faith in the process. I just embraced the mystery.
0: Well, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you have this identity of a a mystic, but you also a a mystic who loves Better Call Saul. And you write (laughs) in the book uh, about the way films and music and books have revealed the divine to you and you know a lot of times we think that the divine is only found in like nature or in a cathedral or something like that but i totally agree that you know i have i've had that same sort of realization in in reading and in cinema and in listening to songs and um so can you talk about the way the divine has been revealed to you in, in media, you know, in books and films and music?
1: I am ultimately fascinated with the act of creation, of the idea of artists partnering with the divine muse to bring us all kinds of great works of art. Everything from Star Trek, and I do mean Star Trek, the original series, Star Trek, The Next Generation, Star Trek, The New One, Star Trek Discovery. I love them all. And the movies, all the movies. And then bringing us things like uh, The Maltese Falcon. I say that as a fan of both of those because I really think art is holy. And we don't have to put some kind of sticker on it like, this is holy art because it is religious and all other art falls in this other category. You know, I, when we enter into the gates of sitting with a great book and we put in our AirPods to listen to our latest favorite song or buy a ticket to catch a movie, we're entering the holy ground of story. I mean, is there any better place to be? That's what the holy story and the divine story and the story of Jesus is all about holy ground. So yeah, and it's a great time out. It is like a mini retreat, you bet. It's a respite for weary souls, all of these incredible creations from all genres and art forms that are really expressing our passions and purposes in this thing we call space and time. And great art breaks us open and fills us up again at the same moment. It reminds us to be fully alive, all the moments of our lives, and not just moving mechanically through our days. And I think it whispers to remember that we are not alone, not alone, not alone. And Silas that someone large, ancient, and full of love, watches us and does indeed weep with us. And that we are part of this eternal story called being human together. And it's really better when we hold hands to cross the mountain. And I think any uh, book that expresses a piece of that, a part of that, the whole of that, like Toy Story, man. (laughs) What a great buddy film. Uh, One, two, three, all of them. Can't wait for four. You know, they're holding holding hands to get through it together and learning to get over their own prejudices and fears and jealousies. It's a great movie. Yeah, I'd say there's a wonderful divine message in that. So that's my take on the holy grandest story and the mystery of art and faith.
0: We're talking to author River Jordan about her new book, Confessions of a Christian Mystic. This is On the Porch. I'm your host, Silas House, and you're listening to WUKY 91.3 FM. Well, I want to encourage everyone to find a copy of River Jordan's brand-new book, Confessions of a Christian Mystic. It's available wherever fine books are sold. Thanks so much for being with us today, River. I I appreciate it.
1: Hey, Silas, thank you so much for having me on and Thanks for letting me hang out with you and your listeners on the porch today. It's been great.
0: And thanks to all of you for joining us for another episode of On the Porch. We'll close with another song that was influential on Rivers' book. This one is by Melissa Etheridge. Until next time, be good to one another. Thanks for listening to the podcast of On the Porch. I'm your host, Silas House. This episode was engineered and produced by DeBron Thomas at the studios of WUKY 91.3 FM in Lexington, Kentucky. We are listener-supported radio, and we thank you for joining us.